It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live! Woohoo! This week's starring special guest star, Mr. Matt Vanderbow! Yay! Yay, me! Good to see you, Matty. How are you, buddy? I'm good. Really good. All right. We are broadcasting. Let me get rid of that and that. Um, and hello to everybody in the chat room and Happy New Year to everybody. Um, Alan Hall says, I'm beating procrastination. I made it. <laughs> Off to a good start. If you guys see me doing this the whole show, I had a wisdom tooth pulled on Thursday and the the sutures are starting to dissolve. So I've got some threads coming out of my jawbone in the back there, just wandering around my mouth. And uh, I can't, you know, when, when you get dental work done, how your tongue automatically goes to where the dental work was done. I am experiencing that. Anyway, I thought to myself, somebody suggested that we do a show on New Year's resolutions. And I thought, well, the number one resolution has to be, I'm not gonna procrastinate anymore. I myself am prone to procrastinating. Somehow I always get stuff done. And I thought, who can I get on the show that is like the Washington Monument of not procrastinating? And here he is, Matt Vanderbilt. <laughs> so, um, so Matt's music, and this is true, plays somewhere in the world every hour of every single day. That's all 365 days a year. His accomplishments have inspired his fellow taxi members to quit making, well, inspired taxi members, I was going to say, to quit making excuses, to get busy, and to become more productive. Some have, some have, but not all of us. So how productive is Matt? Well, in about 13 years, if I'm doing that calculation correctly, he's amassed a staggering 25,000 plus placements on over 900 TV shows, including various major sporting events, Hollywood movies, high-profile high reality TV shows, <clears throat> soap operas, TV commercials, and daytime and evening talk shows. His nearly 5,000 cues and hundreds of full-length songs signed to many high-end production music libraries. So, um, great story. Many of us know about you, but I fear, you know, there's some people that are watching today's show or will watch the archive version of it that don't know the story about the hut, we'll get or the the shed. We'll get to that in a minute. But um, can you give everybody like the five minute rundown on how you started, where it all began, and how you ended up doing production music? And then I want to talk also about bodybuilding as a great example. So you can see Matt's got on a muscle shirt. He was uh, working out or something before we started the show. But anything Matt does, Matt does with. 100% commitment. We'll get to that. All right. So tell us about your humble beginnings in the music industry. Yeah, my beginnings were extremely humble because I didn't, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anything. Um, I'd been a musician my whole life, but I played trumpet and I actually went to college on a trumpet scholarship. Wow. Boise State. Yeah. I don't know if you ever knew that. I didn't know that yeah. you went on a scholarship. So you're like a, you're a legit player, not, you know, like my sister who played flute in the marching band freshman year in high school. It, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was a legit player. I don't know if I, if is, my phone is like dinging and it's coming through the computer. Can you hear that? No. Oh, okay. Good. Sorry. Squirrel I don't. moment there. That's okay. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd been a musician my whole life, and 
I'd played in some rock bands when I was in college and always just had this dream of being a rock star. And I went to, oh, and I, I wanted to write country music too for a while. I had to I like all that. <laughs> musical hats I was wearing and none of the hats fit. <laughs> um, but I went to a road rally, taxi road rally back in, I, I want to say it was 2011, but it might've been 2010. Um, and it was, it was a, a while ago. And I came home from that road rally realizing that I wasn't, I wasn't really hitting the bar for country music, but I had this epiphany and it was kind of helped along by a few people that I met down there. Um, I came home with this realization that I wanted to write music for TV because that just seemed like a wide open, um, the, the land of opportunity that I'd never even knew existed before the, the road rally. Never mind the fact that I was a taxi member for years. <laughs> you can tell how selective I was with looking at the listings because I only looked for like country, country star needs this or rock band needs whatever because I had some rock music too, but I never paid attention to the TV listings. I wasn't the best taxi member. Let's just put it that way. And you were going out to a, a, a studio that somebody else owned and paying them by the hour to make your music, which is not a financially sound move in the beginning. Right, right. So I, I'd made all this music. I'd made um, three different CDs um, before really joining Taxi. Well, one of, my last one was after I'd become a Taxi member. That was the country music because okay. I thought I was going to be a country music superstar. Uh, but so I came home from this road rally and I was determined to write music for TV, but I quickly, like it dawned on me very quick in the game that it was going to be impossible and infeasible to go to a recording studio because like if I were to look at the listings and find something that I wanted to write music for and it was deadlining in two weeks, well, where would that leave me if I had to go book time at a recording studio? Right. And any, any studio worth their salt is going to be pretty jam-packed. So you might be scheduling a couple weeks out just to get a few hours in there. And so it was pretty impossible to think that I could do that schedule for the scheduling issue alone. But then the money factor on top of that, it's like I, I, I just couldn't fathom putting three four hundred dollars into a song that i was just writing for a taxi listing because I, I wanted to be submitting a lot of music and i was like geez four <laughs> or five of those <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm all right, it's a mortgage payment in. all of a sudden yeah yeah so i was like okay better better way to do this is just to invest in some uh equipment to be able to do this on my own because if i'm going to spend two thousand dollars to make four or five songs at a studio why don't i just spend that two thousand dollars and have the opportunity to make music whenever i want at my own schedule like if i want to wake up at two in the morning and throw some idea in the microphone that i had a dream about then i could do it and you so, were working full time at the time right you were a college had, yeah, professor yep. at boise state yep yep so i had a full-time job um and I was even teaching adjunct classes at the community college. So I was teaching at two separate colleges and, um, and I was, but I was determined that that was going to be out the window as soon as I became a music sensation, which I thought <laughs> might happen in about a year. 
Wow. Like, give me give me a year and I'm out of here. Like mm-hmm. my, my heart was never in teaching anyways. I, I was I, I thought I was good at what I did. I was always very well reviewed, highly reviewed by the students and stuff. But like I I just kind of whistled my way your, into yeah. class. And, yeah, I've it, actually it, I, I published a video of you. Well, it was already on the Internet somewhere of you teaching. And I, I, I once did a promo featuring you in the promo. Like if this guy, you know, I think it maybe was an ad that had a picture of the shed. And there was a link that said, if you don't believe me, he was a college professor, watch this. And if you clicked on it, it took somebody shot video of you teaching yeah. at, at Boise yeah. State. So yeah, it, yep. it, you really were a professor, yes. Yeah, <laughs> true story. <laughs> and, and as much as I enjoyed it, it, it wasn't something that I saw myself doing forever. And uh, I, I've always wanted to be a musician. Like, I mean, that's it, it's always something that I've been, and I just wanted to be paid for it. Um, so I found this TV opportunity, and I, I saw the, the land of plenty laid out before me, and all <laughs> I had to do was buy Pro Tools, and then I'm off to the races. And uh, so I'll never forget, after I installed Pro Tools, now this is, I don't know, Pro Tools 7 or, or 5 or something way back in the day. Um, I installed the software, and then I clicked on the little icon mm-hmm. on my Mac, like the, in the dock, you know, click on the yeah. Pro Tools icon. And I expected something to come up like, you know what? Yeah. (laughs) When you launch Microsoft Word, you get this splash screen that says, do you want a new document or a template or gives you all these options? And there's just this big screen in front of you. Or when you click on the the Internet browser, it's, it's all of a sudden it's right there. Well, Pro Tools, at least back in those days, didn't have that. So you clicked on the icon and the program had launched, but there was no visual indication that it was even going. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, <laughs> what's wrong with my software? This is off to a very bad start. My software's got a glitch. And uh, I, I didn't know that, like, in the very top left hand of the screen, you know, where it says Pro Tools or Safari or, or Word or whatever, you have to pull down and <laughs> click the create a new session. Th- this is how little I knew. I didn't even know how to get a blank slate or a blank canvas. Yeah. Like from the opening click of Pro Tools, I, I was lost. <laughs> so that's that's how little I knew. I was wasn't trained on any of this stuff. I I sat in with the engineer who had made all my music at the recording studio I was going to, and he made it look easy. And I thought, well, okay, I'm just going to kind of copy what I saw him do, thinking I would have learned something through osmosis. But I didn't even know how to start the program. <laughs> that's so funny. So, so yeah, and then. Uh, to complicate matters, after I like realized to get a session going, I realized that in, unless I was playing a guitar, electric guitar, DI'd into my interface, there was no way for me to record sound. Like I had, I had no, <laughs> no sense, no virtual instruments. I had no nothing. I'm like, okay, well, okay. So I Google up some free sense and I downloaded some of these things. <laughs> so now I, I had some tools at least. Uh, one of them I still use to this day, actually. So I'm going to give a plug to this company called U-He. U-He. It's the weirdest name, but they had this, still have it. It's a free program called Zebralet. And anyone can go and download it. That was the very first synth I ever downloaded and I still use it to this day. Wow. Um, but back then, um, 
So I, I got the program and I got the sense and then I realized I had no way to actually record any MIDI notes. And I didn't realize you could actually click like using the pencil on, you could like click with your mouse and draw some notes in the screen. I didn't even know that was an option. So started Googling some things and I figured out that if I went to GarageBand, never mind the fact that I'd already bought Pro Tools, but if I went into GarageBand, they had an option um, for a, a thing called musical typing. Cause I didn't even have a keyboard, but what they- You didn't have a black and white keyboard. Like, you only had- No, no. Like, so they, they had, wow. <laughs> like it allowed, let me see how- Yeah, I you can see You could use your, your typing keyboard to play notes like a piano. It's called musical typing. I'm sure that feature is still in there. So and that's the, the way- like, like the letter E was the note E and the letter G is the note G? It wasn't quite like that. It was kind of laid out like a piano. Oh, okay. Um, with, with the A through L keys, I think, were like your white keys. And then the row above might have been the black keys for flats and sharps. I can't remember. But I did that for like three months <laughs> until I finally ponied up and, <laughs> and got myself a two-octave keyboard. And I rocked that two-octave keyboard for like another three or four years. Um, but I, I tell this... To yeah. you and to ev everyone listening, just to show you that I knew, I knew absolutely nothing about this world, and I had no equipment and no ability to do any of it. It, it was more like blind ignorance that I just jumped in and assumed that I was going to be successful. <laughs> I thought I'd be successful a lot quicker than I was, but um, I, you know, I, I remember I, I when the day that no, yeah, well, sometimes blissful ignorance is good. It yeah. didn't deter you, certainly. And um, I remember the day you said to me, I'm going to keep teaching until my music income equals or supersedes my um, my teaching income. My music income supersedes my teaching income. And you yep. actually called me or emailed me and said, well, that's it. I'm out. I finally yeah. got a, a check this quarter. I think you might have even sent me a copy of the check. And said, I think I did. Yeah, I, I made... I think I, I, I made a color photocopy of it and yeah. sent you. Yeah, I forgot I've, about that. I've got a wall of my favorite things since I've run taxi sitting over here, either with push pins in the sheetrock or pieces of blue <laughs> masking tape. Your check is buried under a layer somewhere in there. Awesome. Yeah, um, I never want to forget that moment because you were so proud that you had done something you'd never done in your life before and were able to make as much or more money doing that than a legitimate, you know, what's more legit than a teaching job at a university, right? <laughs> right, right. Wow. Okay. So continue. Sorry, I had to put a little background. Oh, in no, there. no, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I forgot all about that. But I do now remember photocopying that check at Boise State <laughs> as I was giving them the bird and telling them I wasn't going to teach there anymore. <laughs> Just pop that baby in the mail to you. Uh, but that, that took, it took five years uh, from coming home from that road rally until I, my royalty checks were at a level where I could, could leave Boise State. And I guess just for the, the sake of transparency, I wanted to be making $50,000 a year in royalties. But I, but I figured, it, because that, at that point, it would pay more than I was making at Boise State. And I figured, well, once my checks hit 10 grand for a quarter, right. that's, go that's going to be the moment where I leave because even though it's not quite at 50, 
if if I'm able to devote myself full time to it, then it'll happen really soon after that. So I remember that check I sent you was for like eight thousand eight hundred dollars or something, just short of ten thousand. But I couldn't wait any longer. <laughs> it was it was the end of the semester. It was my um, gosh, what was that? It was probably my October royalty check from what 2016 or something. And I, I had to make a determination whether I was going to re-up my contract at DSU. And um, I, I just didn't want to wait. So I was like, yeah, I'm out of here. Check this out. Shows you what a sentimental guy I am. Oh, this wasn't the one, I don't think. But this is, that's weird. It's half of one. Somewhere I've got that original check. But I also have, I want to make sure this is from you. <clears throat> Here, I'll cover the, but there is that one for 11,000. Oh, baby. Yeah, let's go. Um. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, and I'm glad you're showing that because a lot of times people, I, people throw around these numbers yeah. and it's, it's so easy for people to throw around these numbers of mu money they're making and you don't know if they're telling the truth or if they're just <laughs> filling you up with, gar you know, like, I, I swear, like three things guys lie about. One is their height. Two is their income, and the third is, well, I probably guess. <laughs> right, it's another measurement in another part of the body. <laughs> another measurement that is exaggerated. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, people lie about their the music they're, or the money they're making all the time. And um, so, yeah, I'm glad you showed that. Um, I, I'm kind of amazed that you got to that number in five years. I mean, there, there's always been talk about the five-year plan which was started by Matt Hurt. I believe Matt Hurt and John Mazay were the guys that might have coined the phrase the five-year plan way back in the day. But getting the, you know to 50K in five years is it's evidence of how hard you worked. And coming from your completely ignorant newbie genesis, I mean, you started literally at square one or square zero, maybe even square yeah. minus one. <laughs> square, square minus one, yeah. <laughs> and I, that's something, you know, it, it, a lot of people earn nothing in their first year and maybe a thousand or two if they're lucky in their second year. And then maybe another couple thousand in the third year, you know, and usually around five years in people make enough where they go, okay, if I work full-time at this, I can turn it into a real job. But you are already equaling your income at five years. So you obviously did a lot. Now, uh, I don't know where I have, shoot, I should have downloaded the, the photo of the shed. So Matt decided he was in a house, in beautiful Napa, Idaho, I've actually gone there to visit him. It's mm -hmm. just classic America. I mean, it's a, a suburban neighborhood, nice and neat and clean, surrounded by the, the city of Boise, by the way. If you guys have never been there, Matt toured me around a little bit. It, it would be very high on my list of places to live in all of America. I mean, there's just something about that city. And Napa, you make fun of it, but it's wholesome, you know? It is. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice... Yeah small town um the fact that why did you put a shed in the backyard as opposed to putting the studio in your house yeah okay so gosh this was after i I'd, I'd i'd spent one year 
working in a bedroom. I had a three-bedroom house, and it was just me living there. So I, I had two bedrooms to spare, and I was like, well, I'm going to turn one of these into my little music studio. Yeah. And um, I, I did that for a year, but I found out very quickly that it was too easy for me to get distracted by by things. And I I had spent about five years working in the corporate world for the, a newspaper out here where you, you went into work and you had your little space. But there was something about the, the commute in and then having a separate office that kind of put you in a, a different mindset mm -hmm. when you were working. Um, but people work from home all the time now, so maybe this this thought is like ancient history. But right. I thought, well, there's just, there's just something about going to an office. Yeah, but now that I'm saying this, it's like, yeah, try to tell that to anybody post COVID. <laughs> like, yeah, I want to yeah. home. Well, and, and the younger, you know, like members of Generation Z, you know, they kind of grew up, and their first their first job was in fact remote because of COVID. So they right. really never had that cubicle experience or an office experience. Yeah. Anyway, um, but back at that time, my parents were living in, in the house that I went to junior high and high school in, and it had a, a separate shed out in in their backyard. And like it, like it was one a, that you would put a riding mower in or something like it, that. It, it was it was a pretty big shed. It was actually subdivided into I think three different little areas, and wow. one of them was for all the, like the lawn equipment. So the lawn mowers and stuff went in there. And another, my mom had turned into a, like a playroom dollhousey thing for my sister, who was quite a bit younger than me. And then the other area, my dad turned into his office because about the same time that that I went off to kind of do my own thing with music, he'd he'd beaten me to the punch. And he's been a civil engineer his whole life. Okay. And he 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 was always driving from a little town called Homedale. Idaho into Boise and that's about an hour commute there. each way and, whoa and then an hour back and he did it every day for I don't even know how many years like 10 12 years some crazy amount of years at least and, it was a pretty commute yeah yeah there's that <laughs> you start to, yeah um but but he he left that and started his own engineering firm and he he set up his office space in that shed oh wow and I was just I was just like so blown away by the thought that he could go inside in the morning, like wake up, make a cup of coffee, and then roll outside wearing his slippers or whatever, <laughs> and then sit down. And he had his own like it, it looked like a, a legit civil engineering office. He had the like the drafting table and all that stuff, um, but it was at home. And I was like, that is that was just so cool to have a legitimate office, but in your backyard. And so I had that thought in my head when I decided that I needed to do something similar. And so I had a, a big enough backyard at my old house that I could uh, put a shed back there. So I contacted this local shed company that puts these prefabricated sheds together for you. And you, you go in, you give them your dimensions, and you tell them where you want the windows and the doors and everything. And they build the structure on site and then haul out wow. the, the pieces. And they just... Five hours later, there's a, a structure in your backyard. Did you so, did you put down a concrete slab for it or anything? No, I didn't do that because of the um, there was an easement issue in my backyard. Uh, so it would have been considered a permanent fixture, and I couldn't do that. So it had to be just I, I had to basically kind of level the ground out. Right. It was just it, 
it was sitting on dirt basically, but on blocks. Oh, okay. Uh, and did yeah. you have issues with rats or raccoons or anything getting in there? No, because I trimmed it all off with, um, with some like yard edging and then oh, put, yeah. a barrier, put a barrier of gravel around it. I mean, it looked, it looked really clean and trim and everything. And it, it I, I, I underneath. sat in it and I've seen it. It was, it was, you know, it, it didn't look like um, a dirty falling apart thing. I mean, it, it looked purpose built. Yeah. Yep. And, and it was because it was exactly what I, I wanted. Um, had the windows so I could get the light in and it was it was everything I needed and and that's really the part point where I was able to take my game to to new levels because now I was able to wake up in the morning make my coffee just like my dad and go out the, actually I put a coffee maker in the shed yeah it's <laughs> funny for as one. many years as I've known you and I feel like I know you pretty well considering you know we don't like we weren't college roommates or best buddies you know growing up or anything but I know you pretty well you've never told me about your dad inspiring the oh, shed is that right? yeah okay. all these times we've talked about this so that's cool tell your dad I give him props um I, well, he may be watching right now. Hey, Dad. <laughs> I is. hope so. That's very cool that he did that. And, you know, a civil engineer. So he came up with a, a solution uh, that inspired you. And I guarantee you there have been other taxi members that have been inspired by there, that. You know, there have because I'll get emails off of my website from people that reach out. And they're like, hey, I saw this thing on a taxi interview. And I made a shed because I saw you do it. And wow. I'm like, oh, that's that's cool. Um. Okay, so now let's go to the root of this whole show, which is beating procrastination. Now, I know that <clears throat> some people might go, oh, Matt Vanderbo, he's very successful. He must have been born more talented than I am musically. <laughs> and I love him like a brother, but he wasn't. I can tell you that for yeah. a fact. I mean, he's hardworking is what he is. Um, he wasn't born with, you know, he ain't Mozart. He just figured I'm going to learn this business and put every ounce of himself into that. So talk to us about how you beat the procrastination when you got home from teaching at Boise State. Um, and at some point you had a daughter, you uh, were a single, part-time single dad and more eventually became more full-time single dad. But how did you stay motivated? Because most people come home from work, it's like, I can find a million ways to rationalize not going down to the basement, not going out to my studio in a shed, not going to that empty bedroom and starting to work on music. Procrastination yeah. sets in. How did you beat it? Um, so yeah, there, there's two things and I'll, I'll talk about one first and then the second one actually leads into this okay. segue because I'm going to draw this parallel about the bodybuilding world and how they're, the, the drive is very similar. but. Um, one thing I did when I started, and, and I still do this to, the, to this day, um, when January 1st rolls around, I set an annual goal for myself as to how much music I'm going to make during that year. Okay. Because really, at the end of the day, the only thing you can control in this business is your quantity and your quality of your output. Mm -hmm. And if you're making a high enough quantity, the quality will get better by default i mean you just put in put in the reps and right muscle skills, memory yeah your your skills get better your ears get better trained like you get faster every so the quality takes care of itself if you are focusing on quantity and so every year i, I set this annual goal 
And my first year, it was to make 50 songs, which, which was like super lofty for me. Cause up to, songs or instrumentals. It was going to be anything. Any okay. completed piece of music was going to count to, to the 50. Okay. And that's and, and this one, is, a, one a week, roughly. So Yeah. Yep. Now, that was like, for me, that was aiming super duper high because there was a stretch where I made my second album and it took three years to make 18 wow. songs. That, so that's, that's a six song a year average right there. So I was like, man, one <laughs> a week? God, I'm going to really be pushing myself. I don't even know if this is possible. Um, but I, I had that goal in front of me and I, I tracked it. It was very easy to track basically because it's just one a week. The math is easy. Yeah. By week two of the year, I should be at two. And <laughs> it's just easy. Just <laughs> count the weeks. And No wonder I, you I, were a college professor. You're really smart. <laughs> <laughs> I know how to count to 50. Good job. Uh, so the first year I finished with 75 pieces of music. And so I exceeded my goal. And so I said, okay, in year two, if I know I can do 75 and I didn't know what the heck I was doing, then let me, let me, let me make the goal 150 this next year. And wow, so, a 300% bump. Yeah, yeah. And I, I accomplished that. And I think I finished with like 160 or something like that. So I did cross that threshold. And so every year after that, I just set the bar just a little bit higher. And the way that I track it, in fact, I got to show you that I got a little visual aid because I still, like I said, I still do this. So I, I set these annual goals, like I said, and then I just do the math and, and divide how, whatever the annual goal is, divide it by 52 weeks. Actually, I divide it by 50 just to give myself a little buffer zone. And then I figure out how many tracks that is that I need to make per week in order to stay on that pace. Okay. And I get one of these little, see a little daily calendar. We'll oh, see. Ah, there you go. 2024 planning calendar. Hot off the presses. And every year. Yeah, yo. They, see? Mama Great Rana. minds think alike. <laughs> yep. And so here's week one. This is January. Uh, this is just last Saturday. Let's see if I can get that in the. Wow, it's really weird trying to do it backwards. Yeah. Tell me about but it. <laughs> 13 somehow years backwards. It's, Josh, it says, see, you can kind of see target six because my goal this year is to make 300 pieces of music okay which is taking my foot off the gas a little bit but i finished up with five last week so i'm already <laughs> already behind wow but next next week i've already got it mapped out on this thing and i can see that next week i've got <laughs> geez louise this is a brain buster here target there's my target 12 <laughs> Okay. And we're not we're not at the 13th yet, so I don't know what I'll be at, but if I want to keep that pace, then I know the numbers that I have to hit. And I'm I'm very very focused on easily achievable targets because if you set this lofty goal, it's way too easy to get lost in the mud, especially if the deadline is a year from now. Oh yeah. Okay, it's just it's just easy to put it off. And so it, it's much easier at least for me to have a weekly number staring you in the face and just track it I, and i track these things religiously that's the only way that i think i was able to be as prolific as i was early on and kind of keep that level up as the years went along what 
keeps you motivated because you must have had a lot of your early stuff returned by taxi and you probably had the thought, okay, I'm cranking out the volume, but the quality sucks. And you probably had like a little voodoo doll with my face on it with pins yeah. in the eyeball. <laughs> and, but yet you kept going. How did you stay motivated and how did you not let procrastination seep in and become your excuse for, oh, well, you know, next year is the year I'm going to get serious. Yeah. Um, so one, one thing that I did, and I still encourage other people that I kind of mentor to do this, is listen to the stuff you made six months ago or a year ago and, and just see if you've come farther than you were. If your music sounds better in terms of quality and composition or whatever, then you're clearly making progress and maybe you're not over the forward threshold for taxi listings yet, but if you're making progress, you're making progress. And it's, it's no different than taking weekly progress photos, prepping for a bodybuilding competition. Um, it, the, er, the early weeks aren't gonna be much to like get excited about, but you can look at yourself four weeks ago versus where you are now and see, oh, well, actually, there has been a lot of improvement and so I would do that with music um, as much as I thought my music was amazing, right? <laughs> From the very first piece I made, which it wasn't, um, it got better six months down the road. And even with my untrained ears, I was able to listen back to the earlier stuff and be like, Ugh, maybe that wasn't as good as I thought. It's better now, but probably still not as good as I think. And then I would just do these kind of honesty checks with myself and go back and listen to old stuff and then listen to my new stuff and just make sure I was making forward momentum. When you got home from work, and like most of us, it's just like you just want to chill out, have a beer, put your feet up, eat a pizza, watch Monday Night Football. How did you stave off all those, what uh, Stephen Pressfield, by the way, have you ever read this book, The War of Art? I haven't. In fact, I bought one for my brother last Christmas, but I've never read it. Oh man, you will love yeah. you will love this book. <clears throat> anyway, Stephen Pressfield uh, is a best-selling author, and he did the movie. Uh, oh gosh, with Will Smith, the golf movie. Uh Bagger Vance, wasn't Bagger it? Bagger Vance, Legend yeah. Of Bagger Vance. Yeah, but he, this guy worked like something ridiculous, like twenty-seven years before he got a book printed. You know. Um, I interviewed him for the virtual road rally a couple of years yeah, ago. Yeah, that's right. Yep. I got to know him a little bit. Pretty amazing guy. Um, the, I've read, I think, four of his books now. Um, some of them are novels and, and some of them are um, self-help motivational books. Anyway, he, he's he got a, a principle that runs through several of his books, which is called, um, <laughs> why am I, where's the word I'm looking for? Um, resistance. And okay. resistance is this evil, corrosive thing that lives inside of every one of us that looks for the, the path of least resistance to cause you to go, screw it, I'll do it tomorrow. And uh, he says, it's not about genius, it's about work. And, and, and that defines you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not putting you down by saying it's not about <laughs> you, but you, you were not born Mozart. But what you did was you just simply hunkered down and did the work. And it's amazing to me that you were so consistent about it. But then when you started bodybuilding, I went, oh, so this wasn't a one-time thing. It wasn't that 
Matt was so into the music, which you were, but you were, um, you're just really good at visualizing where you want to be and sticking with it until you get there. So uh, he says, uh, Pressfield says, we can't control the level of talent we've been given. We have no control over the nature of our gift. What we can control is our self-motivation, our self-discipline, our self-validation, and our self-reinforcement. We can control how hard and how smart we work. So, I mean, that totally defines you. And as I was reading that, trying to decide how... Can you hear that airplane? That was <laughs> yeah. a really low-flying low plane or helicopter. Anyway, as I was trying to put this show together, I went, I'm going to call Vanderbilt. It's like sometimes it's better to show than to tell, so here you are. Um, how did you overcome it? How did you, on, you know, on a Friday night, let's say, you, you know, you just put in a five-day week teaching a, a bunch of university kids and you come home and feel like, I deserve a beer and a pizza. How how yeah. did you get yourself back out into the shed? Stick with the schedule. I you know I I don't remember because it's been long enough now that the, the memories are kind of fuzzy. But I will tell you, I didn't have much of a social life. <laughs> so so that that helps. You know, I didn't have friends calling me all the time. Hey, we you know we're gonna hang out this weekend and do this. It, it, I would get those calls, but it wasn't like you know my college years where you're doing something every weekend and then. Um, the next day is spent recovering, and so that day is a waste. And <laughs> yeah. so, I, I was I was able to do it, and um, I, I I would say that I had time where a lot of people don't have it, and, and this is it's a benefit that's unique to my situation, and I understand that a lot of people don't fall in this, but I was like as as we've talked about, I was teaching at Boise State, and I was teaching classes that I taught many many years running. So I didn't have to prepare new material at all. I basically would just go in, whistle my way through a lecture, uh, and then go home. And I, the position I had didn't require any like extended office hours wow. or anything. So, so I, was, I was making a pretty comfortable living without putting that much time into the job. And so all that extra time I was able to put into music. And I know that not everybody has that luxury so it's, it'd be harder for, for other people to, to hunker down like I did. But if I was only working, say, 20 hours a week at the university, that logistically gave me another 20 hours to work on music before I'm even going backwards in the, in the work ratio. But you still could have chosen, like, this weekend, I, I, I'm working on the Road Rally photos right now, paring those down to 50 selects out of several thousand. Okay. Uh, and from two different photographers that sometimes are shooting the same thing. So I have to like, okay, I picked something three weeks ago and now I found a better version of it. I've got to go find the one that I picked and replace it with the other one, make sure they're properly tagged, think about the story I want to tell, the order they go in. It's my biggest pain in the butt task that I do every <laughs> year. I absolutely despise it. And as I'm finding photos of people, I'm sending them off, you know, like emailing, hey, Shirelli, here's a great shot of you. So um, I have procrastinated since November 15th was the day I got the photos. And here we are, January, whatever it is. And last yesterday, I had to work on them. So 
it, on a Sunday when everybody else has the day off. I'm working mm -hmm. for hours on sorting through these photos, and it's not the kind of thing you can do with the TV on. So I can find a million reasons. Oh, I haven't seen my grandkids. I'm going to go over and see them. Um I'm trying to think of how I procrastinate. I got to see the Dolphins game because I used to be a huge Dolphin fan. Right. Uh, oh, I definitely need to go to the grocery store. I can come up, rationalize a million things that are manifestations of what Pressfield calls resistance. You had to have those things too. You had to go to the grocery store. You had to see your folks, you know, whatever. How did you stay so focused? Well, gosh, yeah, I, I don't know, because now that you were talking about it, I'm like, how did I stay focused? <laughs> why, why didn't well, I just then, quit? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I just remember how bad I wanted it to happen. And I, I wasn't going to let anything get in my way. And that sounds like, oh, I'm not going to let anything get in my way. Like, you know, just a YouTube pepper upper type of guy. But um, well, really, you I are. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, my whole life, I just wanted to be a musician. I wanted to make music for a living, and I didn't care what form that was going to take. And when I came into this world, I realized that the potential was there, even if my talent and know-how wasn't there yet. I I knew it. I knew the sky was the limit, and I knew how bad I wanted it to happen. And so I just I wasn't going to let things distract me from that goal. And then you, uh, the stork dropped off a little baby girl named Espen. Um, boy, those storks are talented. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, you became uh, a baby daddy and uh, a you know a part-time parent, and then at some point a full-time parent, um, mm -hmm. and went through a pretty nasty lawsuit uh, on that very topic. And yet, throughout, um, you still have found the time. How? Yeah, actually, that was my like my retreat or, or my solace away from everything that was happening in my world at the, the music at that was? time. The music was, yeah, and just being able to bury myself in work because when I was working on music, I didn't have, like nothing else could penetrate my head. And as much as my world had been flipped upside down, don't need to go into those stories, it, it wasn't just the fact that I'd become a, a father. Um, it was everything else involved in the situation. And life was quickly spiraling in a, a, a very abysmal direction. And um, I, I'm not the type of person to, to like wallow in my own self-pity or, or let a situation get me down. But it was a doozy. It definitely was a doozy, and the only way that I really got through that was, number one, by talking to people. I, I was going to counseling, and anytime I would go to CrossFit, I would tell my buddies, you're not going to believe what happened today, and we just, you know, I was yeah. able to get it, get it out. Um, but the other thing that helped me through the whole process was being able to focus on music, because once I was in a session, nothing else was, was happening Wow. Like, like it was, it was the way that I could get my mind off of everything that was out of my control. Cause if I'll tell you this, if I would have just been focusing on how bad my situation was, who, who knows? Like, you know, most people would have, most yeah. people would have 
use that as their resistance, the distraction that would have caused the ultimate form of procrastination, which is I'm going through all this stuff, you know, um, I'm, it was a paternity suit, um, which, yeah. you know, those, those are nothing to sneeze at. And um, most people would have crawled into a hole and used that as the reason that they couldn't get the work done on the music. But you did the opposite. Pretty cool. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it's a it's a benefit or a testament to being able to do something that you love. Because I'm telling you, like if I ha had my old corporate job at the newspaper or if I was even um, just like just focused on teaching, there's no way I could have lost myself in that work because I didn't like that work. Right. But music was something that I enjoyed. I enjoyed everything about it. And I had these grand goals and it just it was it was killing about 15 different birds with one stone by just focusing on that like I was obsessed and you know? that's basically what I was. <laughs> and that's the way I was able to make so much music at that time because it was my it was my escape hatch. And, and so many new members, um, they don't want to hear that you shouldn't submit old music uh, because it's square peg round hole. And then they hear about these legendary members like yourself that produce um, a, a lot of music and they go, I can't do that. And I contend that almost anybody can because I've seen it so many times where people, um, those who want it so badly, find a way to make it happen and ultimately they end up as a full-time producer uh, of TV or, or film music. Mm -hmm. It's funny, as I'm talking to you, I was kind of glancing down because I had like 20 pages of notes uh, before I had the idea to have you on the show. But how to overcome procrastination in terms of writing. Uh, this is from a website called turnerstories.com for authors. And, and it says set goals. <clears throat> Excuse me. Set goals. You did. Schedule. You did. Measure. You did. And, and celebrate. And so we haven't talked about celebrating. How did you celebrate triumphs do you need to go let the dogs out yeah they got a dog door they're barking at someone who's walking <laughs> walking oh, okay. at dogs <laughs> sorry to, to that that's sound. okay i don't know if i can sorry airplanes dogs we, eh, yeah 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 this is my life here um they'll calm down in about 30 seconds all right so how did you um like celebrate your first forward or getting forward somewhat consistently or getting your first deal offer you had to yeah. do something for yourself uh, to celebrate. I, I, I did. When I first started getting forwards, I made this deal with myself that I was going to tack a $10 bill on the wall of my shed. Okay. And every, every forward was going to be worth $10 to me. And it was already my money anyways. But it was, it was going to be like a little a savings thing so that when I got, you know, however many forwards, I'd take that money and go treat myself. And so that's what I did for a while. And then I started signing deals and I, I changed that, that reward or whatever, the $10 thing to, for every piece of music that I sign, I'm gonna tack a $10 bill to the wall. And then like, I'm gonna go on a really great vacation at some point when I have like $5,000 tacked to my wall wow. in my backyard. <laughs> I hope the door to the shed locked. Yeah, yeah, it did. <laughs> but I, I, I stopped doing that because um, this is going to sound pompous and grandiose here, but I, I was getting too many 
to too many songs signed and like I didn't have enough $10 bills to go up there and I was like gosh I, I just like signed these 10 songs that's that cost me a hundred bucks <laughs> wow like I'm not gonna tack that money up there so I, I gave up on that but for a while that it was really cool looking at the wall and seeing these $10 bills add up and, until it got too expensive <laughs> um and how did you decide which genres and did you pick genres that also motivated you or did you pick genres that you knew the industry really needed? No, when I first started, I didn't know what the industry needed. The only thing that I knew was that taxi listings had to stand for something. And so if someone was asking you guys for it, then there's obviously a need for it. And that was all I had to go by really but I didn't know what I was good at, which I really wasn't good at anything. So I just, my, my first year, I was just finding random listings in all shapes and sizes and just trying to make music for that particular thing. And I, I did everything you can imagine. Um, I remember doing some acapella choir things. With you singing? Is, with me singing, yeah. Well, because wow. I had Melodyne, so I was like, <laughs> how hard can it be? We'll just auto-tune these babies right into place. Oh, is that and funny? So I, yeah, I did some of that. That never went anywhere, obviously, for good reason. Uh, but then I did some, like, bluegrassy banjo, like, backwoods sounding things, and then I tried some With, with samples, or did you actually play a banjo? With the, no, with a real banjo. Yep, because I got a banjo hanging on my wall right over there. It's wow! Too far for me to go reach for, um, but I, I was I was doing everything um, be, because I was like, okay, I I don't I don't know what I'm good at yet. I'm just going to do stuff that sounds like fun, and then eventually, I got to the point where I, I I realized what went together fast and what was fun and what was easy were often the same style. Say that one more time. That needs to sink in for people. That's really important. yeah. Okay. So what, I don't know what I said now, what was fast and what was fun and what was easy were often all the same piece of music in the same style. So if I was beating my head over like an orchestral thing, which is another thing I tried because I got an orchestral program, I was like, oh, I can be uh, the next Beethoven here because I, I can now have oboe. And so I tried all that stuff and I remember just spending countless hours trying to put this score together with all the pieces of an orchestra and it, it took forever to do it it didn't sound good and i didn't really enjoy that process but conversely i could go pick up the banjo and just bang 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 bang, bang and then put a little rootsy like marchy type snare drum underneath it i was like that's cool and it didn't take much effort it was fun to do it was easy and those were some of my first um, deals that I signed were for just like backwoodsy. I, I don't even know what the term is for it, but I remember I remember one of the titles was Uncle Leroy's Catfish Fry. <laughs> so <laughs> that ought to give you some idea. You know, a, a lot of people think that success in the TV music industry is that people recognize talent and greatness in composing. And I think you quickly realized that it was about a simple little ditty with a banjo, you know, and some sort of um, snare drum rhythm under it. It was about giving them what was useful to the end yeah. user. And that's 
for decades, all of us in the music business, whether we're in a local band or we're trying to get a record deal in 1984 or trying to become a producer, we always thought that it was about being the best songwriter, the best composer. Mm -hmm. And it's on the record side of the industry, that's much more true. But on the film and TV side, being the best means creating music that's useful. And you figured that out. Yeah, I, I almost like I, I contend that people who are virtuosos at their instrument are actually at a disadvantage in this world because they're going to be predisposed to overplay everything to show off how good they are. And it that's just not useful. Like this, the simpler, the better, really, in this world, which is where a guy like me without a whole lot of skill can come in and I can be simple. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the virtuoso is going to have a hard time calming down and just playing a chord that holds for two bars, you know, without being tempted to put a run up the neck of the guitar. Yeah. That, that's another thing that Stephen Pressfield talks about in his book is that perfectionism is another form of resistance that yeah. people resistance ultimately is people are afraid of succeeding uh, and, and they will try anything they're they're either you know it's they're afraid to fail they're afraid to succeed because if they succeed then that sets a, a floor that they always have to do better than that next time and it's all right. psychologically in the background scaring the crap out of them and so they will do stuff like over-perfecting a track. I always say just because you can doesn't mean you should, which is, mm -hmm. I, I will go to my grave with that axiom. I think that's an axiom. Um, <laughs> and it is, it's another form of resistance. It's, if I try really hard to make this perfect, then maybe I won't finish it. If I don't finish it, then I don't have to submit it. If I don't submit it, then it can't get rejected. So right. there are all these different forms that people, all these different tools within us that we use to procrastinate. And it's funny how you, you're like, and I don't mean this in a mean way, but you're kind of like the Mr. Magoo of figuring it all out. You, stumb <laughs> you stumbled around, but you figured out all the right yeah. stuff. Good for you. Yep. Yep. There, and there was a lot of stumbles. <laughs> yeah. So like if I go back to that first year of music where I made 75 pieces of music, none of them went any it was all it was 75 pieces of garbage really and none of them got a forward by taxi none of them got signed by I, any libraries no, i i think maybe one or two got forwarded and i, I might have got like i don't even know if anything from my first year got signed anywhere and, and I, I would be surprised if it did and thankful if they didn't because i wouldn't want to put my, have my name associated with that stuff <laughs> <laughs> um but that's like yeah, I, I stumbled a lot and I made a lot of garbage and I still make garbage sometimes and have to be like, yeah, we're going to close the books on this one. Yeah, makes perfect sense. I, I've got to say you and uh, and Kano, Marcus Cohen, the two of you guys have probably set some sort of production record for number of pieces that you can produce. I think I want to say I interviewed Marcus a month or so ago and i think uh -huh. he said that on a good day he can crank out three songs with lyrics and vocals in a day which is quite remarkable a lot of people say well i'm not joining taxi until i build up a catalog they don't realize you don't you want to join taxi with no catalog so you you kind of right. create cook to order if you will 
And yeah, yeah. Uh, people will, they never finish that catalog of stuff anyway, so they never join Taxi right. and they never go after the industry. But you and Marcus have figured it out. Man, you guys, um, you guys should probably write a book on productivity. <laughs> yeah, we probably should. You know, me and Marcus have written a ton of music. He's like my brother from another mother. Right. Like, yeah, we, we hit it off, I don't even know how many years ago, and just everything about us was just like, man, this is my long-lost best friend here. How have I, how have I never known you? Um, but uh, we have he, very, He's equally as motivated, yeah. Yeah, we have a very similar outlook and work ethic, and we're, we're just as driven. In fact, we, um, we had a challenge uh, years ago as to, like, who could – I won't give the challenge away, but it was who could reach this – this pinnacle or this, this next, um, whatever landmark milestone, in our career yeah. first milestone. Yeah. Who could reach it first? And we never really followed up on that. So I don't, I don't know who won that contest, but, um, but yeah, we are always kind of pushing each other. Like, Hey, this is my goal this year. What are you up to? And, wow. um, yeah, just, he's a great guy. Love you, Marcus. Yeah. He, he's in the chat room and, uh, yeah. he's sending love back your way. Oh, my uh, man. Anyway, um, okay, let me look at, I want to see if there's any other uh, Stephen Pressfield stuff. Oh, here's one of the things he says. The amateur plays for fun. The professional plays for keeps. To the amateur, the game is his avocation. To the pro, it's his vocation. Um, the professional is there seven days a week. The professional loves it so much he dedicates his life to it. He commits full time. That's what I mean when I say turning pro. Resistance hates when we turn pro. So I think that that is mm. more so than your musical talent. The fact that you, like with bodybuilding, when you told me about it at first, I kind of thought, not surprising. Matt's a pretty physical guy and he takes good care of himself. He eats well, works out. But man, when you got into bodybuilding, you ended up becoming, you got number one, what was, the, you got a big prize. You won something big. What was it? Yeah, it was, uh, so my very last competition just in Las Vegas about two months ago, right after the road rally, a week after the road rally, matter of fact, um, wow. I won first place uh, for men's physique for guys in my height range, which is I think it was five nine to five eleven or something like that, and I'm five ten. So, yeah, and first place, baby. First place on a state level, nationally, what? Um, well, it, it was held in Las Vegas, but it was open to anybody. I mean, there were guys from all over the place down there. Uh, I think most of them were probably local to Vegas, but I, I don't really know. All I know right, me man. and my my girlfriend were there, and I'm from. Nampa, Idaho. She's from San Diego. And oh, I, let me correct that phrase. Not girlfriend, fiance. I was going to correct you. Good thing yep, you yep, caught it. You, you just saved your butt <laughs> big time, brother. <laughs> but I hope Malika's not pissed off at me during the road rally. I, I saw her over my right shoulder, my left shoulder, and I went, is there anybody in this room that got recently engaged? And I looked down there and she went, what? I mean, she was like so stunned that I did that. I thought, uh -oh. But I never, yeah. I don't believe I'd ever been introduced to her before that. No, I mean, you hadn't. I, no, so, you just seen the pictures that I'd sent right. you as, as, during this past year. I'm like, hey, Michael, check this out. <laughs> yep. And there she was like two feet from my shoulder. Um, I'm looking to see if there's any great... Uh, Oh, uh, the pernicious aspect of procrastination is that it can become a habit. 
So yeah, I, I am prone to procrastination and TV is my kryptonite, TV news in particular. I will watch, I'll watch, you know, Fox News, MSNBC, CNN. I try to watch all three of the major cable networks every day to see different perspectives. And I'm a little too obsessed with, with the news. So it has become a habit because if I don't do it, I feel something is lacking within me. But yet you never um, let procrastination become your habit. You let the work become the habit, the opposite. Right, so, right. Wow, yeah. what a, a lucky guy. Um, you, yeah, you, yeah, the, the work really was the habit. And I would, I would feel weird if I didn't do the work. Like, wow. and you contrast that to like, you know, my, my life in corporate America, for anyone who's working corporate America, you're always just looking for reasons to take the day off. <laughs> like, maybe I'll call in sick today and not do anything. And for me, yeah. it's like, I, I, I'm not taking the day off. No way. Like, I, if I take the day off and don't do anything, something's wrong. Um, some people are starting to ask questions, but I'm going to go through a few more minutes of stuff and then we'll open it up to questions. So hold on to those and cool. we will get them answered here. Um, Oh, I'm uh, drinking out of a coffee mug my daughter made me a couple years ago for Father's Day. Uh, you know, I've got one mug that one of my daughters made, and it, it, she did it at a Color Me Mine place where you go in and paint oh. your own mug. And she made it when she was 14, and now she's 23. And I've been drinking out of that mug every morning unless it's dirty, but I generally wash it out every night so it's clean. And just this morning, I realized it's got a hairline crack down the side no. of it. I probably put in some, I, maybe I microwaved a cup, I don't know. But I'm just heartbroken because, you know, that cup is part of my life anyway. But yeah. at work, I use this <laughs> mug, which Liz will put a link where you too can have a taxi mug or a taxi shirt or taxi boxer shorts. No, don't have those. Yeah, you need to get some taxi headbands, man. That's yeah, there you go. that right now. <laughs> um, so... Uh, these are, I can't remember if I got these from Pressfield's book or somebody else's website. So whoever it is, if I'm uh, upsetting you by plagiarizing, plagiarism, very, very big topic lately in the news, but let's not get into that. Anyway, show up every day. You did. Stay on the job. You did. Commit to the long haul. You did. So intuitively, you got so much right. Be patient. Well, I, I can't imagine you being all that patient, but I think the fact that you were so engrossed in the work that you didn't have time to not be patient, seek order, which you did by having the book, setting goals and scheduling mm -hmm. out, your, you know, act in the face of fear. Somebody once said to me, and I saw it again in Pressfield's book, The War of Art, if you haven't read it, buy it, kids. You will, seriously, anybody that buys this book, if you don't love it, I will reimburse you the 10 or 20 bucks that it cost you to buy the book and you can keep the damn book. I'm that confident that you will <laughs> love it. Um, do the thing you fear most um, because that thing you fear the most is the thing that will persistently um, and corrosively cause resistance in you, which ends up causing procrastination. So if you just go, screw it, I am going to do the thing that I fear most then you've taken away, you've cut the legs out from underneath that procrastination. Um, accept no excuses. Yeah, you don't seem like a guy who makes excuses. Be prepared. 
build a shed, it says. <laughs> uh, here, Man, he was on to something. Yeah, here, here's something that you may not be jive with, which is number nine on this list. Don't over-identify with the job. You were completely immersed in your identification as a I'm a TV music producer. Yeah, you know, but oddly enough, um, yes and no, because... Um, this was when I was going to counseling for these other things that were happening in my life. And um, I remember a, a counselor asked me, okay, you know, describe yourself in three words without using your employment as one of the words. Wow. And, and normally I would say, well, musician. And I was like, wait, I can't, I can't say that. Why, why can't I say that? He said, I, I don't want you to be identifying yourself by your career or by, by what you do for a living. Like, wow. wow. Yeah. And I was like, okay, okay. Th there's something I took away from that. And even though I was hyper-focused on making music, it's, it's not something I talked about with my friends. Like when I would go to the CrossFit gym, I was just there to, to work out and do a CrossFit workout. And then I'd go, if I was hanging out with my buddies, we'd talk about whatever, whatever else was going on in life. But I, I never sat down and be like, oh, God, let me tell you about this music business. And so it really? wasn't any, yeah, I, I didn't let it become my identity really outside of the, the working time that I was putting into it. I tried not to anyways. Wow. That's, yeah. Man, I, you know, I think I know you really well, but the more I get to know you, the more I'm <laughs> impressed by all these steps and things you've done in your life. Um, I know you did this one in the beginning, ask for help. Uh, you were very oh, involved yeah. in the, the taxi forum and talking to Kano and other people that you quickly identified, very wisely identified at your second road rally, I believe. These are the guys that, that figure it out. So you did what... Uh, Tony Robbins and every other self-help guru says, which is somebody else has accomplished your goal before you've accomplished it. Okay. Get to know them or get to know how they did it. And you did exactly that. Yeah, yeah. And I got I got to put a lot of that credit to my friend Chuck Henry, who I had didn't know him. I met him at a road rally and we've since became really close friends. But he taught me like so much of this business. Um, I don't know where I'd be without his tutelage or his mentorship. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, you, you got to find the guys that know what you don't know and, and learn from them, but not in like a tell me all you know type thing. Like, you know, just <laughs> not like you want to leech off people or anything. I, I swear the forum, you know, people laugh and go, you still have a forum on your website? Well, yeah, we do, because social media is very ephemeral. What goes up is gone in a minute. Whereas yeah. the forum is like the Encyclopedia Britannica of success in the music industry. And it just builds and builds and grows and grows. So, you know, anybody who is a, a devotee of, of the Taxi Forum knows that pretty much anything you want to learn or the people you need to meet to learn from exist in that forum. So little yep. plug there. Yeah, that's, where I'm, that's where I met Marcus. That's where I met Terrell. That's where I met Owen. Uh, wow! Probably all all sorts of others that I'm not thinking of on the spot here, but um, Dean, yeah, I, I Dean Crepain probably among them. Yep, yep. Dean, um, if I if I really put my mind to it, I'd come up with a bunch of other names, but that the forums, I swear, is the best website on the internet. Wow! Like I'm just I'm just gonna put that out there. <laughs> best website on the internet. That, and, and it, thank you. It, 
It's searchable. I mean, it goes back. I don't even know how long. Decades. Two thousand four. Okay, 19, so 19, that's, that's, twenty years. Yeah, that two is decades. decades plural now. Wow. It's it's this. Yeah, it's a it's a living, breathing encyclopedia that's always updated and um, and it's it's always there. It's, yeah, like you said, it's not like Reddit or or Instagram or whatever. Here today, gone tomorrow. Like, yeah. Anyways enough about that but it, I, I think it gets my award for best website on the internet i'm surprised more people don't use it i i, really I, am. I am too i'm always blown away by it and, and i tell people all the time you got to get on the forums you got to be active and a couple of people have taken me up on that but i'm surprised no one else does like that was one of the earliest factors to my to my rise um, hey, well, you, what did we say earlier? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Yeah, it's so true. It's like I get yeah. frustrated as the person. I, I, by the way, tell Espen she did a great job in that mug. It's really cute. Oh, oh thanks. Yeah, good, good <laughs> colors too. Two sides. This was a couple years ago. And the bottom. Yeah, it's even. Yeah, there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I don't want to spill on myself, but yeah, make sure Espen yeah. sees this part of the show. Tell her I said hi I and, and great job on the mug. Number eleven on this list of twelve is don't take failure or success personally. Um, you didn't. You certainly didn't take failure personally. Um, how do you feel about your own success? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I like to think that maybe my name carries a little bit of weight now. Uh, if if people see my music in a list of of things, but oddly enough, I had this discussion with uh, one of my main library owners. is runs this very small boutique library, but he has a contract with like all the Bravo shows. And I was like, dude, do you do you think that like if if people see my name, are are they gravitating towards my stuff just because it's me that wrote it? He goes, no, they don't even see your name. Oh, my name wow. is replaced. My name's replaced with a number. So, yeah, it, it, I guess the music just stands on its own, and there's there's nothing about me, like and my name that that adds any extra gravity to, to the music I make. It's like the music just has to be what it is. So yeah, I don't really at this point now I don't take success personally because no one knows <laughs> I made that music anyways. Whatever, you know, I just cash the checks. And he got the last thing on his list is uh, the amateur. The amateur craves third-party validation. The amateur is tyrannized mm. by his imagined conception of what is expected of him. He's impressed by what he believes he ought to think, how he ought to look, what he ought to do, and how he ought to be. And it's funny. Um, oh. Andrew Jordan, uh, an up-and-coming successful taxi yeah. member, uh -huh. another one that just got it right away and has that similar work ethic. He's definitely becoming a, a, a star in the world of TV music. Um, I'm going to go get something off the door of my office and show you. I'll be right back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, if Andrew's out there. What's up, Andrew? I trust you alone uh, with the audience for a moment. <laughs> yeah, so anyone who's chatting in the live chat, I can't see any of it. Because I'm on this back portal, so uh, I can't see any comments that are made or even know who's in the chat room. So unfortunately, I can't ask, answer any questions. But Andrew hey. Jordan, I was interviewing him for a taxi passenger profile for the newsletter years ago, probably like three years ago, maybe. And when I went back to edit it and clean it up, 
I saw this sentence in there, which is value criticism over mm. validation. And if there's one, I'm as guilty as everybody watching the show. I'm as guilty as any taxi member. Look, we all like to be validated. I love it when yeah. people say you've built a great company. My ego loves that. Um, but you know what? Value criticism over validation. Those are really profound words. And yeah. I, I, it's literally taped to my office door and on the refrigerator in the kitchen at Taxi because I want to be reminded of this every day, which is, you know, real criticism. Constructive criticism is, is such a gift and has so much value. And validation, it, it's good for the moment. Um, mm -hmm. and, and validation with it brings ego and brings cockiness. So, right. yeah, anyway, thank you, Andrew Jordan. And uh, how much time? Well, I've got uh, 17 minutes. All right, I promised myself I wasn't going to hog the whole show, and I want to open up the chat room to uh, people that have questions. So, guys, if you want to start posting your questions, please type the word QUESTION in all caps so I can see them easily as they fly by. Um, here we go from Edmund Red. Hey, Edmund. What if Matt doesn't have any listings or requests? What style or what music does he produce? Do you ever not have somebody saying, can you make me this? You know, um, yes, it, it, I do go through through bouts like that where I've gotten comedy music. And uh, I just... So I know would that, that be that, like urban dramedy, like hip-hop dramedy? For the, yeah, the yeah, it, it is, but um, but not the, with the dramedy aspect. Cause really? Okay. Yeah. The, so the, no pitsy strings in there. No pitsy strings. In fact, I got um, the the same guy who does all the Bravo stuff that I was mentioned earlier. Told me a few years ago that all the Bravo shows were getting away from pizzicato strings because it's been overdone. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I can agree with that. But I mean, that that's still a very viable genre, the dramedy thing. But yeah, it's I mean, it's everywhere and it has been for a long time. So. Bravo wanted to get away from that, but they still wanted the sound of dramedy music with the hip hop stuff underneath, but they didn't want any pizzicato. And so it was up to me to figure out, okay, how do I replicate that style and that emotion? And, and that, uh, I mean, cause there's just something about a pizzicato string. It's like, and if you don't have that, can you really make comedic music? But I, so I found how, a way. What I'm did you do? Yeah. I want to hear about this. Yeah. Um, so I, I went through all of my virtual instruments and just like I went through everything and just trying to find the sound. If it was a synth pluck, yeah, I, I, I ended up using some mallets. But the main instrument that replaced the strings was a palm muted electric guitar that I found in a couple different sample libraries. I can play through my keyboard. And when I combine those two sounds, like one is from. Uh, a company called Falcon and the other, I can't remember, the other one's from East West. And so I combined those two and it makes this really, really nice palm muted electric guitar sound that that is now my new pizzicato string. And I just, I approach it the same way. It's the same exact composition strategy that I use for the dramedy stuff. And do you, but, and uh, so it becomes rhythmic, like uh, literally, uh, like you could take pizzy string MIDI notes and, and trigger that new sample yeah so yeah, it it, yeah, it, so. it plays the same thing but with just simply a different sound and they're like the same part we love it you're a genius wow yep 
Yes, I am. <laughs> I am. But you know, I, I will say this: I am. I'm probably one of the only a uh, small few handful of guys and gals making that kind of music. So I'm just like, now it's basically all I do. Like I said, it's about 85% of my my workload. And so if I don't get an active request at any given point in time, I know that I can just go make a bunch more of that because that request is going to come around again. Uh, Yeah. And so I can give it to this person, that person, this library, that library. Or when the Bravo stuff comes back and this guy says, hey, Matt, you got any more of this? I'll be like, oh, yeah, here's 30. Here you go. Get them out there. Let's go. So, yeah, just because I don't have an active request doesn't mean I stop working. I just I take that as a time to stockpile the stuff that I know will be asked for later. Uh, Nancy Collell wants to know, how many instruments do you play and do you sing vocals as well? Oh, well, how many instruments do I play well? (laughs) That's a different question. How how many instruments do you play on your own productions? I think would be Um, a fair way to ask it. You know, in in most of the stuff I do, I play zero. I, I play the keyboard. The musical, not the typing keyboard, the musical keyboard. And it just hits these sounds and I... I, I like to tell people I play the computer. That's my best instrument, which is really true. Uh, I do play trumpet, but it's it's rare for me to have a reason to put trumpet on on my music. I play bass guitar as well, but I can't get as good of a bass sound out of my live guitar as I can by by playing the um, gosh, what is it the whatever the j bass thing that comes stock with contact yeah i mean thank you you know it's funny everybody loves precision basses a p bass by fender back in 1973 i had a roommate that inherited 30 grand when his aunt passed away and he bought a bunch of instruments and he brought home um a, a jazz a p bass a precision bass and he said, uh, let's set up some jam sessions and record them on a TAC 4 track. And I said, all right, I played bass when I was 13. I'll take a shot at the bass. But I said, do you mind taking this brand new uh, P bass that you just bought, trading it in for a jazz bass? I just love the neck on jazz basses, and they sound yeah. better. But for one reason or another, the P bass, precision bass, took off. Hmm. Um, here's another question. So, yeah, don't underrate the the venerable jazz bass folks um somebody want to know how long are your cues on average um nowadays about 75 to 90 seconds good answer right in the in the pocket um here's a guy named hunter sausage and red beer show sausage o'harman um but here's the scary thing is hunter lives in nampa idaho I, what? I, yeah. Hunter says, how do I connect with composers like Matt in my area? Because I live in Nampa. What? Okay, what? just email me, dude. Yeah, to find me, because I, I run a group that meets about every six to eight weeks. We get together in my house, like this room here, and there's about 15 of us, and every six to eight weeks we get together, and we talk music, and we play stuff, and we critique each other's work, and I usually do some type of teaching element. And yeah, so email me. Go to my website, right. vanderbo.com. There's a contact form. V-A-N-D-E-R space B-O-E-G-H, right? Or is there no yeah, space? But there's, yeah, no space in the web address. Okay. It's just all, all Van- one word. All right. Cool. 
Um, wow. So what are the odds? Yeah, it's like I grew up in Dang. Ottawa, Illinois, and, and um, Adriana Lisette walked up to me at one point and went, you know, I, I live in Ottawa. I grew up where you grew up. It's like, no, nobody. Abraham Lincoln <laughs> did the first Lincoln-Douglas debate there, and that's the only other person I know from there. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Okay, let's see what else we've got. Questions. This one's... Uh, okay, here's another one from Hunter Sausage. I don't know. The the Hunter Sausage thing scares me a little bit. Sounds like a... Yeah, that's a name right there. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like somebody you'd hear about okay. on a true crime show. <laughs> Hunter Sausage was finally <laughs> um, arrested. Record real instruments through a DI box. As a composer, performer, and producer, I find this method to get a good sound. What are your thoughts on this method? I, I personally don't, but I, I work with a couple of great guitar players. Um, my friend Brendan Nickel and my other more recent friend, David Wallace. Uh, David and I go back about six months. Maybe okay. less. Brendan and I go back 20 plus years. Wow. Um, but both of those guys are just phenomenal guitar players and they do everything DI. Uh, and I don't know what their magic is. I think they both use different processes. Um, but through amp simulation and I don't know, whatever, they got these guitars just sounding absolutely ripping. And I don't know how to do it. Like anything I plug into that DI sounds like crap. So I don't even bother. But the, when those guys do it, it sounds great. The amp sims are incredible now. Even I, I putter around with Logic. Um, someday I will sit down and get serious with Logic. It's like I've got all the engineering and production chops from the mid-70s through the 80s saved up in this brain of mine, but I've never done it in the digital realm before. And, and I love microphones and wires and getting sounds like okay. miking an amp in a room. But I, every time I ask some member, you know, like, um, oh gosh, I can't think of his name. Um, composer catalog, Keith LeBrant. Uh, oh, yeah. Keith LeBrant gets great tones out of his guitars and he is a Kemper or whatever they're called. You know, amp sims today are just so good. So yeah. yeah. Um, let's see, here's a question from kp bolden how should a vocalist hey drum... kp what's yeah. up yeah kp's the I guy jumped I... up on stage at the during the the last panel at the road rally um and started dancing the hip-hop thing by uh um wild man chris is that kp does he have a I wasn't... yeah 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 okay anyway yeah. um how should a vocalist drummer like myself approach recordings for sync? I want to be able to send raw vocals and acoustic drum tracks to composers who need them. Um, well, I know there, there's plenty of uh, people like me and KP. We've already been, in, I've already been in contact with him, Michael, about singing on some stuff. So, uh, I'm not the only one that works this way. I'm sure everybody has a different method. But if you can just record a, a very good, clean sound at home, drier than a bone, maybe <laughs> I don't know, maybe with some like natural room reverb, you, you don't need to go overboard. You can go in your closet where it's dead as a doornail. And you just need a, a halfway decent mic and you need a good quality dry sound. Just record those vocals and most producers would rather get your stuff dry, untouched, and untreated rather than have you send over something with a bunch of effects that they can't get rid of. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you, you just need a good mic. Not, not even good. You just you need a decent mic. 
Like I got this thing. It's a uh, AKG Perception. They don't make this one anymore, but when they did, it was $75. It sounds so, good. I tell you, when you get I like love this mic. three inches closer, that mic sounds like a 414, which yeah. makes sense because yeah, that's an AKG as well. Sounds great. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. Here's a great question. I've ne in 13 years or so of doing the show, I've never had this question come up. The Rocket Moving Picture Company wants to know, do you ever hear your music on a show and go, glad they use my music, but this show sucks. And then you're <laughs> cheeky when your friends ask if that was your song. Yeah, you know what's extra funny about this question is that would be my brother. <laughs> that's your brother hey, Lee, asking it? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yep, yep, that's my brother. That's my brother Lee, everybody. Two-time Emmy Award-winning video producer right there. Wow. Yeah. That's funny. Where does so, he get yeah, his music from Chuck Henry? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. You know, so anytime he's – He's worked at uh, a news station and he's been, I don't know, 10 years working in the local news industry. And they always had subscriptions to uh, libraries that I had no music in. Oh, this is a real bummer because he was like, dude, I, you got any music in? And I won't say the names of them, but got any in this library? And I was like, no. He goes, ah, because that's who we just signed a contract with for the next two years. Like, um, oh, dang it. <laughs> that's funny. So, yeah, but we, we joke about that all the time because he's always like, uh, hey, we just watched this show. I can't remember what one they were talking about recently, but he'd just throw out some obscure show title. He's like, you ever had music in that? And I was like, you know what? I actually did just see that on my most recent statement. So, yeah, I have had music. In oh, yeah, because we swore we heard your music. <laughs> I don't know how they know it was mine. I guess I have a distinct style, but. Uh, it's fine. Yeah, I... A lot of times. Oh, sorry. I. Okay. I, I... I can identify Keith LeBrant tracks sometimes because I know his style of guitar playing well enough. I mean, he can play virtually any style, but when he does rock, he sounds like Keith. And just yeah. last night I was watching something. Can't remember what it was. I think, no, I can't remember. Anyway, and I heard it and I went, I would bet dollar, I would put a hundred bucks at that as a Keith LeBrant track right there. I almost called him, but it would have been awesome. like, you know, one thirty in the morning for him. So I decided not to. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's see. Do you ever have trouble? This is from Reiny Beer. Uh, do you ever have trouble getting started on a track or a project? If so, what techniques? This is a great question, Reiny. What techniques do you break through, use to break through the block? So this goes back to procrastination. We all have sat down with the intent of, I'm going to do the work. And it's a blank canvas sitting in front of us. And mm -hmm. we go, I'm stuck. I've got some yeah. level of writer's block. How do you deal with that? Yeah, um, that, that, is, that is a good question, and it's not something I deal with anymore, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Because when I sit down, I, I usually have the mindset that I want to be in and out of an entire piece of music in about an hour and a half. Like, that's all the time I want to put into something. Wow. And so I load up one of my templates that I've created with all my instruments in there, and I'll just start hitting something on the keyboard, and about 10 seconds later, I'll have something that is the start, and I'll just roll with that and then start building on it. So I don't, I don't waste time. I don't overthink things. Like a lot of people are like, oh, I got to wait for the muse to strike. Like, okay, yeah. I, I guess if you, if you don't want to make that much music, you can sit around for years and wait for that muse to show up. But for people who are just cranking out the, 
the quantity, like you, if I don't have something in 10 seconds, then something's going wrong. So it's like speed dating for music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, it is know, like speed dating. Yeah. Not yeah, that I've ever a, done it, but I would imagine as you go down the line, you know, and you see somebody, either you're kind of attracted to either their physical aspect or, or their personality, you know, yeah. in a very short yeah. amount of time. And one or the other would be enough to get you to go on a, a real date with that person. Same thing with your music. If, if you mm -hmm. don't have that initial spark, why bother? Yep. Um, all right. Let's see. Well, Nancy Kalel wants to know what studio monitors do you use? And have you ever mixed using the Steven Slater headset for mixing? No, I, um, so first of all, I use these Kali, that's the name, K-A-L-I, Kali okay. Audio. That's the monitors and I don't know what size they are something i mean they just they sit there and they do their job <laughs> that's it and, i got and a you subwoofer know. under here okay and you use well, the oh, sub and, when and you... i know them yeah yeah and i use i use the sub when i'm working too and it's a pre-sonus something 10 inch or something like that um as for headphones no i i never work in headphones in fact like my ears are already hurting from wearing these things for this hour and a half because i'm not used to it um an engineer told me a long time ago that like in order to do a good job, you need to have sound coming at you through space rather than just being piped into your eardrums. So well, I, I never work in headphones. This lets me segue into the topic that I'm going to do next week on the show. So about a year and a half, two years ago, probably during COVID, maybe even two and a half years ago, I ran into this thing called the Flare Audio Calmer, C-A-L-M-E-R. I get annoyed by sounds. Um, my family would tell you that certain sounds just annoy the crap out of me. Literally, I get tight shoulders, get you know edgy mm -hmm. and weird about it. Um, and I read about these things and basically they look kind of like an earbud, but with no electronics and the inside is hollow. And you just put them into your ear and these people, they're in, in the UK, they have figured out that the ear canal itself introduces a certain type of distortion that if you just put this little envelope thing, it literally, you know what? It almost, well, <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm trying to, it looks like that, you know, it's just, it looks like that, but it's hollow on the inside and it's made out of silicone. And they were like 25 bucks. I figured, what the hell, it's $2 worth of plastic for 25 bucks, but I'll try it. <laughs> and I tried it and I didn't really give them a fair shake. You're supposed to wear them for 24 hours. So your brain kind of tunes into what they're doing. Anyway, a couple of weeks ago, I reconnected with a guy who was my assistant engineer back when I was still active in the studio. He lives in LA and um, we both worked together in Florida for some period of years and he came over, he ended up becoming like the head of audio fix it problems at Warner Brothers, like taking old movies and, and fixing the sound. Okay. Uh, yeah, so he's got really good ears, worked at a very high level for many, many years over there. And he heard about Flare Audio. They've got some, pro they're called Prototype E earphones. And, you know, essentially they kind of look like these guys 
except that this part is a little longer and they're shaped a little strangely. And he came over to my house and he said, you have to try these because he knows I'm just like a fanatic for all things audio. I love audio. So I put them in kind of a little, you know, honestly, I had a little bit of a bad attitude. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Sure. Go ahead and press. Oh, my God. I huh. And I was listening to Steely Dan, which is what I used to use in the studio. I would take the Steely Dan song, Asia, whenever I moved to another room that I hadn't worked in before. And I would play, um, I had a digital copy of Steely Dan, Asia, and would play that and get to know the monitors. Anyway, I played it through these headphones and I went, wow, I've been listening to this for 40 years. I've never heard stuff that I'm hearing right now. Um, huh. So I featured them in the current taxi newsletter that's out there. And I've got the husband and wife uh, who co-founded the company as my guests live from the UK at midnight their time because I want to hear more about this. Like, how did you come up with, with the physics to do this? But I'm telling you, anybody who puts those in, they're like 250 bucks a pair. Go to Flare Audio, F-L-A-R-E, audio.com. They're called the E-Prototypes. Um, huh. I, I Anyway, uh, I didn't ask for them. They didn't say, if you do this, we will give you some. Some just showed up Friday after they were already in the newsletter. So I didn't take a bribe or anything, and I'm not plugging them because I, but they sent me a freebie. And I've got to tell you, I, you can hear things. It's like the music is inside of your head in the best possible way. And you can hear like the drumstick on a cymbal so much better than you've ever heard it before. And the fingers on a bass, it, it adds a clarity and depth, but yet it doesn't color it. I, the first reaction I had when I listened to my friends were I could probably mix records on these. Anyway, wow. uh, so I'm going to have them on next week, and I asked them if they would be kind enough to donate a pair that we could give away as a prize to somebody. Oh, how cool. Anyway, yeah. I, I, you guys know me well enough to know I would never endorse, especially an audio product, unless I was absolutely blown away by it. These are something. And apparently, they've got some new product coming out in 2024 that they say is going to revolutionize the industry of sound. I cannot wait. Oh. Yeah, because these people are pretty serious people. So they will be my guests next week. Matt, I, I love hanging out with you. I, I almost don't care if there's an audience, but I'm thrilled that the audience got, got to be inspired by you because if there's anybody that could talk about not procrastinating, you're that person. And uh, it's so funny that everything you listed that you did instinctively and intuitively is exactly what uh, Mr. Pressfield Mentioned yeah, in his that, that's, book. That's pretty crazy. It is. So, yeah, you've got uh, something special going on there. And with that, I bid you a fond farewell. Um, I do plan to make it to Nampa, but now I'm getting some crunchy sounds going on there. Um, uh, Matt had invited me to come up and, and do a taxi TV with this group of 15 people, do a live broadcast in that room with everybody. Right here. I, and I think... Um, before I come up there, can we do a Zoom one night when you've got all 15 people there and I'll just hang out with oh, you yeah. guys on a Zoom? That'd be awesome. All yeah. right, let's do that sooner than later. Because um, I'm thinking 
possibly even spring skiing. If I'm coming up to Idaho, maybe I'll come in like <laughs> March or April and try and squeeze in a day of skiing. I haven't been skiing yeah, in there you go. four years and I miss it. Um, thank you so much. Please give my best to Espen. Um, tell her I, I really will. genuinely really, really like the <laughs> mug. Um, and uh, I will talk to you. Have a great 2024. And, yeah, uh, Michael, thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure as always. And uh, hey and bye to everybody in the room, even though I don't know who's out there. Goodbye anyways. <laughs> you know them all, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> all right, take care. Matt Vanderbo, ladies and gentlemen. And don't forget, see you next week to check out the Flare Audio e-prototype. See if you can win one. Bye-bye. And that is Keith LeBrand.